everyone. Welcome back to Monday Movie Madness. This week we're taking a look at the ever so amazing Casino Royale. Your file shows no kills, Bond. But to become a double O, it takes two. How did you die? Your contact? Not well. You needn't worry. The second is... Yes. Considerably. Of course, directed by Martin Campbell, who uh, people who are James Bond fans will know um, worked on Goldeneye uh, as well in the James Bond series. Uh, writers on this film include Neil Purvis, uh, Robert Wade, with assistance then from Paul Haggis, who I believe at the time of the actual creation of this movie was just coming off um, a couple of Oscar nominations and, of course, two Oscar wins for writing on the film Crash. Um, so... It's no surprise then that, of course, this adaptation of a very popular Ian Fleming novel turned out to probably be one of, and some people will debate, the best James Bond movie ever made to date. Um, are you of that opinion, Chris? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, this is probably my favourite um, of of all. Um, and funny enough, you say, it's, it's interesting that Campbell kind of worked on the introduction to Pierce Brosnan, which is considered Pierce Brosnan's greatest Bond film. Um, and one of the best of all time. And then he works on Daniel Craig's first, and it's considered one of the best, if not the best. So Campbell's got a pretty good track record with Bond. <laughs> yeah, and really good versatility as well, because this film is so different to Goldeneye. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of, obviously, they've both got really good, compelling villains, but <laughs> in terms of the way these films... Uh, inter- I suppose the James Bond formula of such, like this Casino Royale film kind of completely changed the way people perceive James Bond I think um at least in the modern day yeah I think Goldeneye was kind of like a perfection of like the original formula you know it had everything Mm. you wanted out of a James Bond film but it had like that modern edge um it had some of the best action but I think it's funny because that film kind of plays with some ideas very briefly that this film obviously fully embraced Mm mm-hmm yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I, I, the way I've always seen it is when there's a new Bond, uh, bar obviously the few situations where I'm forgetting the actor's name, but I know he was only James Bond for a single film. Laz- George Lazenby. Yes, yeah. When sort of the sort of the regular actors have sort of their stint of maybe five to six movies, there's always this sort of, the first film is a real hard hitter for the most part, and then they kind mm-hmm. of, uh, they expand on sort of that Bond legacy, and then it kind of reaches its um, sort of, ultimate ending and that can be either amazing or it can be terrible uh, hence uh, stuff like uh, Die Another Day and all that um, and or Tomorrow Never Dies <laughs> no, um, Die Another Day was, was Brosnan's last one yeah. yes yeah sorry it, it, the names of these films like there's so many James Bond films that I almost like because there's only so many sort of titles you can do for these sorts of films that they end up kind of like then we also have No Time to Die which yeah, I imagine the in like of the word die in this. yeah I imagine like 20 years time when I'm older and have like an even worse memory than I do now, I'll still be, I'll be getting that mixed up as well. Um, But this is, this is an absolutely phenomenal film. And something I only realized when watching yesterday, and you might agree with me on this, but like, you know, the whole idea of James Bond as this gentleman spy, I feel like is completely thrown out the window in the sort of the, in the Daniel Craig sorts of films, or at least um, particularly in this one, he, because I almost feel like more he's more of an assassin than he is a spy. Yeah, I think this film sort of takes like a more critical lens at like what you think of Bond. Um, it kind of highlights like some of the things that are kind of like his, um, 
the things that were kind of cool about him in the original films are now kind of played up more as what they are, which is like character flaws, you know, like his um, mm. womanizing, his drinking. Um, and like that was like, I think it feels like that was like a conscious thing they were trying to do with the Daniel Craig films, maybe less so towards the end, but it always felt like a consistent through line. Yeah. Um, I think as well, like, I mean, obviously we talked about uh, Martin Campbell directing this film and obviously he directed Goldeneye before and you said that that was sort of a perfection of the Bond formula, at least for the time and kind of Mm -hmm. what we knew James Bond as. I almost feel like this film is a great sort of... um, sort of a polar opposite to compare those films to because this film takes the James Bond formula and almost completely flips it on its head for the entire film because you've got the as you mentioned sort of the alcoholic version of James Bond you've got the sort of the womanizing James Bond but there's elements in this film that make him seem like more of a professional assassin as opposed to sort of you know he's this spy that's so suave and charming because you've got the sort of the interactions with uh, different Bond girls and whatnot and you're expecting like if you've seen any James Bond film you're like expecting him oh he's gonna have sex with this woman now and then he just doesn't um and it's kind of like he gets his information and he leaves it's like this sort of it's a business to him as opposed to like this sort of pleasure with business on top of that makes sense yeah um it's very much like delving into like the moral gray area of bond in this film um Mm -hmm. like the and i love how the film's kind of divided into three i was thinking last night it's kind of divided into sort of three chapters really when you think about it because you've kind of got this initial first i think just under an hour where you've got obviously the the stuff in africa and then you've got uh, in madagascar and then you've got sort of this the the stuff in miami and then that all kind of builds to the main thing of the film which is obviously the poker game and then kind of after that, you've got this like epilogue that's kind of like, you know, because you lose your central villain like two thirds into the movie. Yeah, um, which is a really bold move. Yeah, again, yeah. And I, I think the film does a really good job as well of having a central villain who's kind of like pathetic at the same time as being interesting. Mm-hmm. Any chance you've actually read the Ian Fleming Casino Royale book? I haven't read any of the the James Bond books, to be honest. I'm yeah well it's it's kind of it's interesting for me because um i have the casino royale book and i've always been meaning to read it because i know a lot of this film is taken pretty much verbatim from the book which is always a nice thing to know Uh, but obviously it's adapted in a certain way that makes it more palatable to the screen um but i grew up very much um maybe you're the same but i used to love those sort of you know the alex Ryder books and the young bond books and all that um Um, i didn't read the books but i was certainly raised with the films for sure yeah yeah, so the Young Bond stuff really interests me, and that's probably why Skyfall tips me out a little bit more because it's got that sort of legacy of Bond as a younger child in it, and maybe I appeal to that a bit more. But uh, Casino Royale certainly, um, up until I suppose more in more recent years, I always had sort of selective amnesia with this film, as we mentioned on the last episode, which was kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have selective amnesia with trying to remember the plots of Spectre and Quantum of Solace, and that makes a lot of sense because those films are woeful um, and kind of the complete, like it, it's very disorienting to go from Casino Royale, which is arguably one of the best films to Quantum of Solace, which is arguably one of the worst um, yeah. in the series. Um, but I, I kind of want to, I want to mention one final point before we kind of delve into the beginning of the film and kind of talking mm. about how great that opening is. Oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really interesting to go back to this film. Cause I, in, in preparation for this, I of course watched the film, but then I also looked at a couple of, reviews from the time because i wanted Mm -hmm. to see what people were saying about this at the time and i didn't realize because obviously 2006 i would have been maybe six or seven years old at the time so this is really putting it into perspective um like the you know we talk about sort of the the controversy surrounding certain actors playing james bond nowadays yeah we talk about like the likes of you know people say oh it's yourself i can't be james bond he's not white Uh, and then this was like 
part and parcel, different different sort of reasoning, but like very similar. Like people were like, oh, Daniel Craig can't be James Bond. He's got blonde hair and blue eyes and it's, yeah, not, yeah. Like, it's not the James Bond. And it, it's funny because it, it seems so similar because Henry Cavill was also tipped to play this role back in 2006. But I think the reasoning behind the uh, the film runners at the time was that he was just too young. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously he's back in the news again, and that would be amazing to see him play that role. And there's a load of actors I'd love to see uh, take on this role of James Yeah, Bond. I think he'd be more suited to, like, a, if they're going to do a classic Bond, though. I don't know if he'd be more suited for this, like, gritty, realistic Bond. Mm. He's he's also someone, I think, and this is kind of tangenting off a little, but I promise I'll keep it short. Um, Henry Cavill is someone I'd love to see as a Bond villain. Um, yeah. I just think he'd really work, because obviously seeing him in uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, like, you know he can play that sort of... Like almost like Michael Bean's role in Goldeneye of like uh-huh. this double O agent you that mean, goes uh, rogue. Sean Bean. Or well, no, I'm thinking of Michael Bean from Goldeneye in or is it Sean Bean? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah Sean my head's Bean. gone. <laughs> yeah, no, my head's a bit meshed this morning. But you get what I mean, anyways. <laughs> like I'd love that sort of dynamic again. Like not a complete retelling of Goldeneye, but also like but kind of like maybe a soft reboot uh, as yeah. we've been kind of seeing with more recent James Bond sort of projects. Um, I know like the Daniel Craig sort of era of James Bond is very much like. A complete like it had to be a soft reboot of James Bond because it ended yeah, so it poorly. Yeah, absolutely was. Yeah, yeah. Um, whilst it was probably one of the biggest like commercial successes for the Bond series, like a lot of people didn't like the film, and rightfully so because it's terrible. And I feel like if I go back to it, maybe I'll have a bit of fun with it. But I just I I don't like it that much. Um, well, let's get into Casino Royale. Oh God, my voice trying to say this now. Casino Royale. Let's get into that. Anyways, uh, beginning of the film. I just, oh, I love this. Such a mm-hmm. subversion of like sort of the old sort of James Bond uh, gun barrel, uh, which yeah. obviously. So um, this, yeah. So you, you were talking about controversy. I don't know if you read up on what the other controversy of this film was at the time. And this intro really hammers that home. This film was super controversial for just how violent it is. Mm. Um, and even watching it now, it's shocking that this is a, this, this managed to get a 12. Like this is like an R rated film. Like, <laughs> so close like so many scenes there's so much blood there's so much graphic killing in it every kill is like really weighty like the first they show bond's first kill in this opening and it's so disturbing <laughs> yeah made you feel it did he well you needn't worry the second is yes Considerably. I think the black and white filter doesn't do much for it either. Like it makes it feel a lot more grittier than it is. Yeah, you've got like Bond, like every hit is like really gruesome. And like, in fact, the only thing it's really missing is like some blood. And then you would have this be like an R rated fight with like the way he's smashing his hand against the glass and like, you know, yeah, and he's choking him out. And then he ends up just shoving his head into a sink full of water and drowning him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it was insane, and I saw this in the cinema, and my dad was uh, hesitant to take me to see this, um, because there was there was a big controversy. There was even I, my memory of it is, I don't know if you ever used to watch CBBC, but there was a channel CBBC, and they had a news program, and they actually did a thing on it about how like parents were wary to take their kids to see it because it was so violent <laughs> um because kids have grown a lot of kids in that generation have grown up on bond and bond had always been kind of violent obviously it always been pg-13 but it always had like that cheese and like that you know light atmosphere to kind of take away from it 
Yeah. Um, but this is so gritty and so dark. Um, and you kind of see Bond, you see Bond's first kill and it's, it's a requirement of his job basically to kill two people to become a double O and his first kill is like so visceral and brutal. And he's obviously talking to someone who's essentially a defector um, and is selling MI6 secrets. And obviously, as you say, you know, he is this assassin because he's just been sent to kill this guy. He hasn't like been sent to do anything else. He's just been sent yeah. to put a bullet in his head. Um, and I love the, I love how you see the kill. And then as he's saying, the second is obviously the sentence is probably the second is much easier than the first. And he just shoots him in the head without blinking. And he's like, yeah, that considerably. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that opening scene kind of like, I mean, you talk about sort of the, how like, gruesome it is we don't really get anything well i say we don't get anything we don't get any um sort of hand-to-hand combat scenes like that again the film like that is probably the most brutal and i think a lot of that is the fight in the stairwell is pretty pretty grim as well yeah yeah but not to the same extent i think it's just the way in which obviously the black and white does a lot for it but i think the way in which this film is shot like because it feels like very much handheld sort of documentary style so it makes it feel a bit more real than if it was just stationary camera yeah um and I I love the opening scene to this film. Like it's some like it's a masterclass in how to like completely win over an audience again that has been sort of hesitant to um go on and uh, go back to James Bond because it it's it's very easy to forget that in the US when this film came out it was outperformed by Happy Feet, um, <laughs> which is you know it doesn't which you know Happy Feet's obviously a highly grossing film and a lot of people who are younger will obviously go and see that but for a franchise like James Bond, that seems like a bit of a kick in the teeth, really, doesn't it? Because, you know, you've got this long-standing IP that is pretty much beloved within the cultural zeitgeist. And I've said that in the last few episodes, and I'm kind of starting to get a bit conscious of it now. But, like, (laughs) everyone knows James Bond. Mm. Everyone has seen at least one James Bond. And if they haven't, well, I'm sorry, we can't be friends. But the, the, the whole premise of this film coming back and it being such a phenomenal film, I think they really needed to make it like they needed to make that first impact like really stick with people if they wanted to get them in for this sort of new bond Mm. Um, and they really did that Um, and I think that's realistically why they were able to keep people boating through uh, after the like awful uh, Quantum of Solace and Spectre and everything and they were able to hold people on because there was always like good films in between like it's kind of weird that they released a good film bad film good film bad film good film Um, which is obviously the good films being Casino Royale, Skyfall, and No Time to Die. Um, but yeah, this this opening scene, and it, it shows off, like, again, the sort of bond in this film is very much out to prove himself, because um, mm. it's obviously sort of, um, it, it's weird in a sense, because obviously Judy Dench has played M before, um, but it's more this sort of, um, like, beginning of the the series again and obviously bond is only he doesn't even really become james bond till the end of this film no no Um, and there's like because we don't even really hear the the actual you know the iconic james bond theme until the end yeah Um, and this like opening scene kind of shows like he's willing to do anything because you talk about that second kill where he shoots the guy like it pans very quickly to like a shot of like a, a frame of him and his family and it kind of portrays like this idea of like well, Bond doesn't care like he's going to kill you if he has to or if he's told to, you know, that sort of way. I don't think I even noticed that. <laughs> That's... Yeah, it, it makes it a lot more eerie in that sense than when you think about it. Um, yeah. And it's kind of, I think this scene in the, at the beginning definitely is what shaped my view on the idea that Bond isn't really a spy. Obviously, there's spy elements with the whole casino bit and all that, but he is very much just kind of like um, a UK government hitman for hire, really. Uh, well, yeah, you have that. 
obviously after that introduction, um, and I'll talk about the you have to talk about the Bond opening in a bit, but um, you obviously get that scene where you have uh, after the whole Madagascar fiasco, you have that scene where M's talking about how the prime minister doesn't ask what they do and stuff like that, and it's like yeah, very yeah. much implied that like the MI six are quite dirty and. Which, yeah, you know, is probably a fair assumption. <laughs> well, I think it's something you'd expect for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think this is actually one of the few sort of Bond fear, uh, films. I mean, Skyfall does this a lot more and I think it does it much better. But it's kind of like, it's one that talks about sort of the real world consequences of like these guys messing up. Uh, yeah. Because again, like following off from that, we have the amazing scene in Africa, um, which is, I think hats off like one of the best sort of practical stunts um mm. ever put to film i think it's just so so well done yeah because you've just got this obviously the the uh the guy he's after is a professional free runner the actor so that's why every mm. shot you get of him is you're seeing it all you're seeing everything he's doing and it's just so like seamless and you have to wonder how this guy has time to make both bombs and be like a world-class free runner but <laughs> yeah but like it's um, yeah, just it's so well created yeah um, but again, it kind of, I just want to point out, like, it point, it just shows again, like, because it really, it does a lot of storytelling of Bond without him actually saying anything. And Bond isn't a very, like, talkative character in this film. Like, even though he is the main lead, obviously he has a substantial amount of lines, but he's not, like, overbearing and he doesn't tell you a lot. And I think that's some, sort of the appeal to James Bond is that there is always that element of mystery there. Um, yeah. He's less charming in this film and more sort of, kind of scary um but well, he kind yeah. of plays it off um, a little bit because you can kind of see i get i to me, yeah because to me when he's chasing after this guy and like you know he obviously ends up killing him it's kind of like you can almost see like he's getting angry and that's why it's almost like that it almost feels like that's why he kills him because he's just pissed off with him by the end that he keeps getting away like he's yeah. outdoing bond so much like bond is like you know bond isn't a free runner he's a really fit guy but he's not a free runner and that's like a that's an incredible like that's an incredibly different level of like athleticism. And so, and they, they do that so well by showing his approach versus this guy. Yeah. Like this guy is climbing up everything. His approach is get in a truck, drive through this construction site, destroy everything. Yeah. <laughs> or like, kind of, or like yeah. crash through a wall, you know? <laughs> yeah. It definitely lays down the groundworks of like, this is a more brutal bond than what you're used to. It's not sort of the charming, suave gentleman you've kind of seen in previous films. It's more this sort of like very scary, assassin that like you would not want to cross paths with um mm. but it, it it's so well done because i mean i i have this unfortunate sort of um i don't know if you've seen the johnny english films uh yes yeah 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 i always whenever i see this scene again because i feel like they obviously um yeah where he's just like kind of opening gates when a guy's running that, over it and that's oh, all i can god. imagine in my head when Just, i see this scene the english <laughs> is so underrated oh my god um, yeah. but yeah yeah I, I know what you mean yeah and he takes like the lift down and everything <laughs> or, he, or he like just shimmies along like a little gap <laughs> it's it's great um but yeah no i love this sequence and um the the free i remember there was a lot of buzz about that as well because that was one of the sequences they sort of released early to get people hyped for the movie was to show this like insane free running that we'd never seen anything like this in bond before or in action mm. movies in general up to this point i don't think parkour had really been explored in films at that point as far as i'm aware that was kind of like the, one of the big ones to kick it off. Yeah. And obviously, um, I think this film is almost like the way in which it runs. It's, it's almost like a reverse roller coaster where you start at the top and you have this absolute push of adrenaline as you're going down with all the action. Yeah. And then there's a very slow part in the middle with Casino Royale as you're kind of going back up. And then at the end, it kind of does it all again. And I well, yeah, love that, that sort of format. 
Yeah, that's why I kind of split it into three parts, because this first part is just like action sequence, action sequence, um, you know, like different missions. You're jumping around so much and it's all like it's interesting as well, because it covers so much ground in its runtime as well. You get so many different locations and, and different missions and different like mini villains before you get the sheaf. Yeah, um, you know, you get this this guy, this bomb maker, and then you get the guy who hired him in Miami and then you get the guy he's hired again. And like, you know there's so much going on and um but yeah i just what i do want to just say as well before we get into like the the sort of the casino Royale part but the um the opening to this film is like probably my favorite bond opening and bond title sequence um mm-hmm. of all time this is just like the song for this film is insane uh, i think it's called you know my name by chris cornell it's like instantly yeah. iconic you you hit you get it straight after that amazing opening sequence and obviously you get the the new version of the gun barrel, which is like comes out of nowhere as well. It's very surprising with the guy essentially who he drowned getting back up and he shoots him. And then you get the the gun barrel um, and you just get this amazing song with some of the best like intro visuals as well. Very different to what you usually get as well. In a Bond film, you normally get a lot of the women in the film or like, you know, holding guns or that, that kind of thing or guns going off. And instead you get this very like, it's using like the art of like, you know, playing cards essentially. Hmm um and you're getting like mini action sequences in it where they're using like blood is like either is like diamonds are sticking out of people or like bullets are represented by you know hearts and spades um like it's great and you 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 get that amazing shot where he's walking towards and it's an animated version of him then it cuts to daniel craig then it cuts back the animated then it cuts to daniel craig again yes that's an all-timer for me that song is the song is amazing for one and you know yeah this is like an all-time Bond sequence. This might top Skyfall. It might be the best. I don't know. It's Ooh. a hard one. I don't know. Oh, Skyfall's no. incredible, but like this was just when you to see this in the cinema as a kid, this like yeah, it set my mind like on fire when I saw that right after that <laughs> opening that felt like I shouldn't be watching it, and then I get this amazingly badass like Bond yeah. sequence. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think any of the the sort of the Daniel Craig films have had a bad james bond song Ooh, I think they've all been another good. way to die in quantum of solace i have a soft spot for another way to die and to be fair I... I listened to it again recently and didn't hate it nearly as much as when i was a kid but when i was a kid i remember thinking it was really jarring because i was mm. like this is a massive step down in quality <laughs> The only Spe- the only questionable one I have is the Spectre one. Oh, see, I really like the Spectre one. I think Writings on the Wall is really good. No, no, I I will say it's a fantastic song, but um, I, the sequence um, is kind of mediocre. Well, that and then I'm also reminded of um, Radiohead were meant to do the Spectre theme originally, and they have a release song called Spectre, which is if you really want to like, kind of you can go out and listen to it like it's a <laughs> available song, like yeah, really really good, like it kind of does such a great job of portraying sort of the state of bond at the time um and writing on the wall is a great song but i just think i mean if you put radiohead in front of me maybe this says a lot about my um personal situation or whatever but i love radiohead um i so... actually don't really like no time to die either to be honest but that's because i'm really not a billy eilish fan like Ooh, and i really God. hated when i heard billy eilish was doing song Damn. um i just can't like it saddens me because i love that film but like yeah i didn't like the song at all uh, even oh. when I watched the movie, I was like, maybe when I watch the movie, it'll click with me. But no, yeah. I, so I would say, like, I like really like three out of the five Daniel Craig ones. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, just yeah, that sequence. I don't know about you, but that's like my one of my probably my favorite Bond, you know, opening. It's just visually gorgeous, and then you've got an amazing song, you know, um, 
and you got some great like visuals. It's cool to see like some fight scenes essentially in your opening, which mm. I think is cool. And they're represented in such a cool way with them like disappearing into cards or like bleeding out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because diamonds are in their chest or clubs are lodged in their chest. I think that's just really cool visually. Um, oh yeah, for sure. But like um, you say, like you know, the coldness of Bond is really illustrated in this first part as well, with him executing an unarmed prisoner, <laughs> attacking an embassy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very questionable stuff. Um, and it's it's interesting yeah. you say because obviously you see like that CD side of the MI6 because they don't actually care that he like destroyed a construction site or that there was probably like a lot of collateral damage. They only care that he stormed into an embassy and that they figured out he was a British agent. Um, yeah. Because before that, I don't think they really cared. And when you watch that sequence again, there's a ton of collateral damage. Like a ton of those soldiers get gunned down by their own people because of what Bond does. Um, yeah. And it's like kind of brutal because it's like these are just like guys who work at the embassy. Like they're not like. As far as we know, I wouldn't call they're not villainous. <laughs> they're just no, they're no. just soldiers who work at an embassy and they're getting riddled with bullets by their own people because of what because Bonds essentially throwing them in the path of it. Uh, and again, it's just like that brutalness. And obviously, he kicks the shit out of a guy who uh, I assume is either you know the head of the embassy or like it's just yeah. you're just like goddamn like <laughs> yeah, dude ambassador, yeah yeah like um probably kills some people in that explosion as well. But it's all like you know. It's like he can't have the guy alive, so he's like gonna kill him basically. Um, but yeah, like, no, it's a it's a really I, really well done opening. I think it's interesting because they say they wanted to question not to kill him, but they probably would have killed him after they questioned him. <laughs> For yourself, you stormed into an embassy. You violated the only absolutely inviolate rule of international relationships, and why? So you could kill a nobody. We wanted to question him, not to kill him. For God's sake. You're supposed to display some kind of judgment. I did. I thought that one less bomb maker in the world would be a good thing. Yeah, more like, than likely, yeah. Like, uh, so. you know, he is like, a, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, you've got, obviously, it's an amazing sequence. And then I love the, uh, I quite like the Miami stuff as well. I was I was watching this as well. I was thinking, I don't know if you picked up on this, but you get an introduction to both Bond and Le Chief's style of playing poker in the film as well. Hmm. Um, because poker's like obviously the central theme and like you get this scene of Lashif playing it and he's playing it very much he like has like a mathematical brain he works it all out statistically and you know he kind of um, he, he he basically like scares someone into folding by saying like there's an odd the odds are, you, are really bad for you um, whereas Bond kind of uses in, his intuition his reading of people yeah. um, to win you know the Aston Martin is it an Aston Martin? He, mm, yeah i think so isn't it yeah, yeah it's like it a is, classic yeah. one isn't it yeah um yeah he uses like his intuition to win and i thought that was really interesting because then obviously when they actually play poker that's very much how it plays out mm. um you know it's lashif is this analytical mind and then bond is very much his intuition looking at people's tells reading people um and i just thought that was really cool because i was like oh yeah they're like setting up how they will play the poker later in the film yeah i mean um speaking of lashif um, Mads Mikkelsen is unbelievable in this film. I, I love really, Mads Mikkelsen. Really but this He's is this at a point as well where he wasn't an extremely well-known actor. No, no, he hadn't um, done Hannibal yet or anything like that. That kind of really like sold everyone on just how great Mads Mikkelsen is in everything. Yeah, and obviously more recently as well, another round which was kind of it's heralded as kind of one of his greatest performances, which is something I really want to watch um, soon. Have you seen The Hunt? You should watch The Hunt as well if you want to see one of his best performances. Oh, I'll, I'll put it on the list for sure. Um, um, but yeah, no, he's really good in this film. Um, I love his portrayal. Um, 
throughout the entire film. I think he's just he's a good take on the Bond villain being a bit more modernized. Um, mm-hmm. like because yeah. we obviously see him uh, dealing to get uh, money in a more sort of what you would consider to be a more conventional way than sort of like the evil scientists of like taking yeah, yeah. money from like the Soviet Union or something. It's well, more he's like, a very realistic goal as well because he's essentially a banker for terrorists. Yeah. Um, okay. And obviously he is trying to, ma- I guess, I don't, I don't, I was a bit confused what his goal, I suppose his goal with taking their money and investing it is, is, the, is it that they want him to, they don't want him to invest it, do they? He's investing it and being I like. Well, I think he just loses it all, doesn't he? Yeah, he's investing it and losing it. But like, my understanding is the, the, the warlord who obviously comes after him isn't wanting him to invest it. It was just a bit confusing because he says there's no risk and all this sort of stuff. And I was a bit confused on like, is he wanting him to invest it or like, I'm assuming he's just sort of keeping hold of his money and protecting it. Yeah, um, I believe but obviously it's a, he's, he's yeah. an asshole and he invests it and loses it all. And that's the um, whole reason for the Casino Royale. Yeah, uh, because... Which is where he needs to win back the money. Yeah, the, yeah, it's great, because the central plot doesn't really set off until the like you know that first act is done with the Miami stuff, where he's mm-hmm. essentially going to create another... They point out that basically after 9-11, someone invested before... Did they say someone invested before 9-11 or after 9-11, something like that? And yeah. that, uh, and essentially, obviously, like made a ton of money. Um, and so someone's going to recreate that. They're going to cause a terrorist attack that like drops the stock of this this plane com- this um airline company but i also do love the fact as well that like throughout the majority of the film for the most part um mads mickelson's character really doesn't care about james bond like it's no, not they, like it's not his primary concern they don't have a super yeah it's not like a, a rivalry like you get with these other villains it's very much a <laughs> he's like bond is just an annoyance to him um Mm. You know, what he's really scared of is the people whose money he's lost who are going to do heinous things to him when they find him. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like we learned throughout the film, especially during the Casino Royale uh, element of it, like that it's not just Craig who's after him, like Felix Leiter, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright as well, playing the CIA agent, is also there, like trying to stop this. And uh, um, I mean, we get the great, obviously, uh, I I really like uh, Jeffrey Wright in this film. um, And Mm. I'm, I'm kind of. It's one of the few disappointments I have with later films as to how his character is treated. Um, yeah, he's always very underutilized. But if you watch the older films, I think Felix Light has always been underutilized, to be honest. Yeah. Um, he was always set up as this great friend of Bond, but they never gave you enough time to care about him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the whole central driving force of License to Kill, one of the best early Bond films, one of the best films of, of Bond um, that the, very, the Casino Royale shares a lot of DNA with. Um because License to Kill for its time is very much the gritty, super dark Bond film that Casino Royale is. Mm. Um, and like the whole plot of that is that Felix Leiter is attacked and that's what sets Bond off. Um, yeah. So yeah, like it's weird that, that um, he's just never been that well handled. No, for sure. Um, another actor or actress in this case, I, I want to mention is Ava Green as well as Vesper Lind. Uh, just a, another phenomenal performance throughout. She's my favorite Bond girl of all time. Like, oh yeah. I yeah. um Ava Green's the best. <laughs> and I think it's unfortunate because obviously her death in this film kind of sets off Bond for like the rest of the series, but I I never got the same connection between Craig's Bond and I'm I'm struggling for the name now of the later actress in No Time to Die who plays his Inspector, wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know who but I think I, I think I a lot name, of that is down to a lot of that is down to just how poorly Spectre sets up everything. Um and how bad of a film it is so that I kind of forget that, but mm. nothing ever tops sort of uh, 
his initial sort of love with Vesper Lind, I don't think. Yeah, you were saying you were saying um, on the Aliens one about how you love a uh, you're a sucker for a good romance. You, I was watching this thinking, God, Aldrin must adore this. <laughs> no, no, I do, I do, I do love this. And then I'm like, yeah, so I always well remember done. that she betrays him, and I'm like, oh, that bitch. Um, but I just. <laughs> I love the scene on the train, um, especially where they're kind of having the back and forth. Like, I think that sort of banter, that conversation between them, it just it, it really sets up the precipice of because I'm not a huge fan of the way Bond girls are treated in previous Bond films. I don't think that's a controversial statement to say. I feel like there's always no, just I think um, like, yeah. obviously they're a product of their time and all that. But like a part of it is that like there's just so much character and development lost because they're treated so poorly in terms of writing and in terms of their on screen elements think, and all that. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a I find it a bit like I think sometimes there's a bit of a um, misunderstanding that they're that in every older film. They're always terrible. There's a few films where they stand out and they're made to be a bit more have a bit more agency than than people give them credit for. Like I'm always drawn back to the you the girl from I, I don't know her name, but the girl from You Only Live Twice, which is one of my favorite ones, although it has some probably mm. scenes that don't blend very well in today where they make him look Asian um, <laughs> in that film. Probably not the best. Um, but like I always thought of her because she's like, you know, she's very much involved in the final conflict and she gets her own sort of time to shine in the action sequences. So I think there's some like better handling in some of the older films, but I would, yeah, overall agree. They're either very poorly fleshed out or they're just made to be useless and it's very frustrating. I'm always drawn back to Diamonds Are Forever where Bond gave gave the Bond girl a gun to shoot these henchmen and she shoots up into the air and then falls off the ledge. And it's like... Yeah. why no one in that situation would do that <laughs> um yeah. but yeah yeah this handles it this is like this sets the standard for sure like this is this and that's like like you say probably why a lot of them don't match that going forward because it's such a high bar yeah you've got and this like, like yeah this film i think just sets up like because they are pretty much a match for each other like in in, in yeah. like sort of i suppose the relationship way but also in terms of like the i suppose an intellectual way because they're mm. kind of like like the bit on the train like yeah it's Fanny Bantler but it's also like kind of sparring in a way as well trying to figure yeah, each other for out sure. um and I really really like the way the the dialogue is handled I think um obviously I mentioned oh, I hate the fact that she betrays him just because I'm a sucker for sort of like a, a romance in films but like it it like it just shows like how like capable of a character uh Ava Green's Vesper Lind is uh throughout mm. the course of the film um and you know I think it's unfortunate that she dies at the end and obviously we have that iconic line that's ripped straight out of the book like oh the bitch is dead um which I think is kind of it's it's almost like because we're beginning with the James Bond formula again almost and we're beginning with a new Bond I think this is kind of the it's to set the wheels in motion of like uh Bond closes himself off to other people afterwards and that's why we get sort of the more uh just i don't know sort of cold-hearted bond in later yeah. films yeah and this led to a lot of my frustration with a lot of the marketing surrounding no time to die funny enough there was a lot of a conversation you know obviously about bond being like a misogynistic womanizer and i always thought it was really strange because all the craig films beforehand and some of the films even before that pierce brosnan especially like always never portrayed his like what would it probably could be you know seen as misogyny or or, or, or certainly womanizing never portrayed it as a good thing um you know he was constantly called out in it in pierce brosnan's era like you had m calling him out in in the first conversation calling him a sexist misogynist dinosaur Mm. um and then you have this film obviously kind of highlighting that yes he is this way and also there's like there's an origin to this 
way of thinking. You know, this thing happens to him and it burns him in a way that, like, he probably does, like, treat women like shit afterwards, but... Yeah, and, like, I it's, don't think... and it's not good, and it's not a good thing, but it's like, you know, there's a reason for... Like, the same reason that Quantum of Solace very poorly explores his alcoholism. Mm. Yeah, I think... I think particularly this incarnation of Bond is meant to be perceived as not a desirable character to be, but also no, sympathize a, with him. Yeah, a very flawed human character um, in this film. Like, it, it does a wonderful job exploring his humanity and, like, showing this is a very flawed man. And, like, yeah, and obviously he does a job. that, And obviously she says to him, you know, does it not bother you killing those people? And he's like, well, I wouldn't be good at my job if it did. Mm. Um, which is one of my favorite scenes is, obviously, after that amazing fight sequence in the in the stairwell which again is really pushing the line for pg-13 because bond is like caked in blood by the end of it um and i think that's probably how they got away with it is that you don't see the hits that kind of make the blood you know you just see all the blood afterwards Hmm. um and you obviously have this really long sequence of him strangling this guy which again is really harrowing and eva green contributing to his death as well by like knocking the gun out of his hand and then she obviously she sits there and watches him die and like so obviously she feels that she's part of it and that she's a killer too. Um, and he kind of takes that burden for her in that scene in the shower. Mm. Um, and I love that. That's a great scene. And obviously you got the Vesperlin kind of theme as well in the movie, which is amazing. Like whenever that plays. Yeah. There was meant um, to be, I believe I was um, reading or at least I was watching a review in which one of the reviewers mentioned that that scene with uh, Vesper in the shower initially was meant to be that she would strip down to her underwear. But, um, what happened was Daniel Craig, I believe at the time mentioned like, no, she should probably be fully clothed because if you've just seen something like, like that and you're going back to get a shower, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is like, oh, I should probably get out of my clothes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also that scene is a really good subversion of what you'd expect in a Bond film. Like it would be really weird and a bit like, you know, creepy if he was to suddenly like make a move on her after she's traumatized <laughs> and she's just, but instead he's just this like, instead he's just like, you know, almost like a, not not a friend, but like, that's almost what he is. He's just there to care for her instead and let her like sit in this moment. And he takes this burden away from her by, you know, metaphorically taking the blood off her hands and putting it on him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would have been really weird and creepy, I think, if she was half naked. Um, that would have actually been really strange. Yeah. Um, I'm really well, glad they didn't do that. God, to think that they wanted to do that <laughs> is really weird. Like, yeah, she's just killed someone and she's like traumatized. Oh, Bond better make his move. Yeah. The <laughs> like, other whoa. bit though as well is like I think there's you can obviously you can see the the growing of the relationship throughout this film. Like yeah, um, yeah. and you can see then why in later films he puts up this shield again because there's a really good arm um armor, sorry, there's a, I'm getting too ahead of myself. There's a really good um quote from um Bond in the film where um Vesper Lynn says to him, oh, you've your armor back up again. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, oh, I've got no more armor left. You've stripped me of it. Um, and like, you know, it's it's fair to assume that in later films, because it's been because this has happened, you know, once she betrays him and he still goes out to save her uh, and she ends up dying anyways. And he has to sort of put up this uh, uh, visage of like, you know, I don't care. So his armor is all the way back up again, like and it never comes down until later on and sort of stuff like uh no time to die and all that yeah and um yeah so like yeah and obviously yeah the whole casino part of the film is so much like character growth but at the same time this great tension like it's one of the and i love and i think it is a film that sort of gave me an interest in poker i have like a mild interest in poker now because i (laughs) enjoy playing it because of the way it represents it is so exciting and interesting and engaging 
Um, yeah, but hopefully, lo- hopefully you never have to go to a poker game and then have to be poisoned and go out to your car to oh, get God, a- the poison the poison sequences there's so many good sequences in this poker tournament that you forget there's so much like stacked you know you've got yeah. this great fight in the hallway that's super brutal and like really intense and then although i do always love when he just boots that guy over the railing and kills him immediately yeah <laughs> always, that just always makes me chuckle um and uh yeah you've got that great sequence of that and then immediately afterwards you've got um bond losing and sort of essentially losing his shit for a minute like just going up to like i'm just gonna take him by force and do what i need to do um because like it's and it's like it's like vespa says his ego can't deal with the fact that he lost um Mm. which to be fair he obviously we find out that he lost because someone was informing on him um is it is it supposed to be that vespa was informing on him then and it wasn't uh mathis i don't know I think so. Because I th- I thought we saw that scene where it looks like Mathis is trying to poison him. Like, so I'm very confused. And then Mathis is kind of like his friend in Quantum of Solace. I hated even thinking about that because I remember when they tried to make you feel bad for him and when he dies in the next film. Yeah. And it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Screw this guy. <laughs> I do want to say as well, it's like expertly grafted as well, like that you kind of get this less sort of like always ready for anything, suave bond in this film when... The first scene you have him obviously going up to the bar and like asking for the vodka martini shake and not stirred, you know, the iconic. And mm. then after he loses the hand, like this is great shot of him just sitting at the table on his own as everyone else starts to leave. And then he's like a vodka martini. And then the bartender is like, oh, shake and not stirred. And he goes, does it look like I give a damn? Like, yeah. so like you can tell it's gotten to him. Like, cause he, again, this film is like him trying to prove himself worthy of the double O status, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and obviously... Yeah, um, and I, I I love that where he makes and he and that's not even his main drink of choice in the film. Obviously, it's this drink that he names after Vespa, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Um, and who knows if that's what he's drinking going forward in like his you know depressed sort of state in the later films. Um, but yeah, I love I love the sequence where he gets poisoned as well. Um, it's just like another amazing sequence, and it's and it's like obviously he just looks like a drunk stumbling around as well. <laughs> yeah. And um, I do like that we get the the line afterwards when he comes because obviously he's dealed back in by um uh, Felix by Felix Leiter as well. But I love the line when he comes back in. And he's like he comes back in. And he's like, oh, that last hand nearly killed me. And yeah, it's just yeah. like, oh, it's just such a great line. So well I done. Love, I love the chief's facial expressions whenever he comes back in as well, yeah. and how he starts <laughs> to get a little more nervous. And he's like, oh shit. <laughs> he's like, this guy's quite good. Like <laughs> you can see him getting more nervous as it goes on. Yeah, yeah. Like when when they go all in at the end, he's like lost almost all his composure. He's not this confident. Like I don't think he's sure of it. You know, he's not done his equation or whatever in his head anymore. Where he's sure that he's going to win this hand, he's like, oh fuck. <laughs> it's very oh, much like a, a yeah. And then obviously, you know, obviously the after the whole casino game with him winning and him getting told at one point is he told as well that he gets to keep the money, <laughs> which is like what is it like two hundred million dollars? He does get it, doesn't he? I was more focused on the fact that he gave 500 grand to the dealer. Yeah, I was like, I want that job. Day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, it's just the every that casino scene. Like, I, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning, obviously, this was sort of reverse roller coaster if you get all the action, but like the yeah. suspense in that sort of like that whole scene lives up to as sort of as bombastic uh, bombastic as the action is like it, it's on par like it, it doesn't feel like you're getting a slow moment in the film like it no. obviously is slower but it it has the tension to kind of 
make up for the fact that there's less sort of visual action and there's bits of action between as well yeah and the films kind of like established the stakes of this game really well and kind of brought you on board as to how important it is that he wins and that these people don't get this money Mm. um so like you know even with even with the what i think is good is even with the questionable methods of bond in this film they still buy you into the idea that ultimately what he's doing is the right thing. Like if he wins this game, it's good for everyone. Like this terror, this, these terrorists don't get this money and this guy gets, you know, interrogated and we, you know, hopefully stop, uh, you know, he stops a terrorist plot and all these kind of things. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, it, it like you feel the stakes of the game and obviously it's funny. You watch all these other people play and these are probably just billionaire guys who are just normal guys, like probably <laughs> not involved in anything. They're literally just playing a poker game for fun mm-hmm. for all this money um but yeah like yeah it's so good and it's um visually really appealing as well i don't know what it is there's something about the aesthetic of the poker game is very nice yeah oh no for sure but what isn't visually pleasing is the torture scene that comes afterwards yeah (laughs) um i feel like every guy winced at this scene like this is the worst scene in the film to watch Uh, yeah and right before that you have that insane barrel roll of the car which i believe broke a guinness world record when they initially did it did you have the most car rolls yeah yeah and like because it just keeps going and going and going and And it's so good as well that it's not broken up into a ton of unnecessary shots it's just one shot of this car barreling yeah and you're surprised bond's even alive by the end of that (laughs) yeah um yeah, uh, and obviously, yeah, the torture scene is insane because it's like it's it's darkly funny, um, but like also, it's one of the more like again, it's again this film is like this film is crazy for like the the level of uh, the the grittiness and the violence that it pushed for a Bond film. We'd never seen anything like this when it came out. Yeah, um, for sure. I think a lot of parents probably took their kids to see this, thinking it would be like all the others, and were probably very shocked as they got to this scene. <laughs> if they weren't already horrified before that, when he drowned a guy in a sink or like strangled a guy in a, <laughs> mm. you know, um, this was probably what pushed him over the edge, where he's getting his balls smacked by a knotted rope. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, and obviously again... that exchange is hilarious between the two as well. Oh yeah, it's so weird. Like, but I love it as well. Where he's like, "Oh yeah, right there, right there." Um, yeah, and he's like, "Now everyone's gonna know you died scratching my balls." And then it's like a way for him to be like, "Yeah, I'm never gonna tell you." And then they're gonna find you, and they're gonna do something worse to you than what you're doing to me. <laughs> um. Oh but yeah. But then no. he he's right when he. But then Lashif is totally right what he says to him afterwards. He's like, "No, because even after I kill both of you, MI6 will welcome me with open arms because they want what I know." And yeah. I think Bond says, I don't know what he says under his breath, but I think he says like, yeah, you're right. Or something. I, I don't, he acknowledges it that, yeah, he's actually right. Like he can do them. They can do anything to him and, and her and they will welcome him back like that because they will, at the end of the day, they need what he knows. Yeah. I think the other bit as well, like that gets, that gets expanded upon later films as well. Skyfall particularly, uh, where yes, there's this yeah. whole sort of like, does M really care about the double O agents and all this sort of stuff, which again, I'm not going to harp on about it because we're talking about Casino Royale, but this is but Skyfall is my favorite film out of them all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I like that it's kind of established early on there, um, and you kind of get this sort of like because because in previous films, MI6 and sort of the British Secret Service were always portrayed as like the good guys going out doing good things, and it was easy to do that when you had like the villains be like Russia, <laughs> which is just like yeah, again a, a kind of a cop out thing to do nowadays, but obviously back in the day, or a guy who wants normal. to use a laser to shoot North Korea's minefield and yeah, let yeah. North Korea roll into South Korea. <laughs> yeah, it's the less prettier <laughs> take of the Bond villains, I think. Um, but like, I mean, 
Goldeneye kind of touched on it a little bit, but again, it was kind of like, oh, this is just one bad apple. But this kind of, this film takes kind of like, yeah, one bad apple, but then they kind of add on, yeah, but it will sour the bunch, like, so, you know, none of them are great. Um, Mm. So, like, MI6 isn't portrayed as, like, this... uh, you know, bastion of uh, of justice throughout the world. It's like, no, these are a shady organization that are really just looking out for their own interests, realistically, garnering information. And yes, maybe some of it is in service of like the United Kingdom, but like for the most part, like they just need to cover their own asses most of the time when they do dodgy stuff. Um, yeah. And they're more than willing to do it, especially as Mads Mikkelsen's character points out and, you know, Bond agrees with it. Um, so it's, it's, it's no secret to like everyone involved. Um, but yeah, that that old then, scene just. Bleh. And then obviously how it ends with just the sheaf getting just so unceremoniously shot in the head. <laughs> yes, is that by uh, is that by Mister White? Mister White, yeah. yeah. So going going back to this film after watching Breaking Bad, um, to just to draw the comparison, I don't know why. Whenever I heard Mister White, I just thought of Walter White. <laughs> um, you just hear Walter. <laughs> just I'm just. Yeah, I'm just convinced. Like, I'm just thinking, like, what would it have been like if Walter White? Um, I don't know why. Um, why, why is the actor's name blanking in my head? Cranston, Brian Cranston. That's yeah, it. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, imagine Brian Cranston was in that role. That would have been interesting. Imagine Brian Cranston as a Bond villain. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I think it would work. I think the Breaking Bad has done plenty for his sort of villainous reputation. Now, yeah, for sure. Before it was just Malcolm in the Middle uh, for yeah, me. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No. Sorry. Moving on complete other tangent um, um yeah and that's kind of like you feel like when you watch it's funny when you watch it it feels like that's the climax of the film i think the film does a good job of fooling you into thinking that the film's you know the climax has happened yeah um because the chief is dead you obviously mr white you're kind of like left questioning who mr white is and like um what what he what his goal is but obviously you know, you get Vesper back and now them and Vesper, him and Vesper are together. And it's very sweet when they finally get together. Like you say, the whole art, my armor scene is great. Mm. And, but then you follow that up great with the, uh, the scene about how she doesn't have a tell and that's why he loves her. Um, I think that's really good as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's just for, and, it, and it's, it's a gut, it's setting up that gut punch so well. They're just like, Oh, <laughs> I hope you're happy now. Cause we're about to like rip your soul out. <laughs> Yeah, for um, sure. Because obviously he finds out that uh, she's taken all the money and that she's going to give it to these people. Um, which are they part of Spectre or are they just some of the? Are they like the Chiefs people? I was I was very confused on that. And Chris, you're asking the wrong guy here. I don't think the writers knew. Um, like, yeah, who's she giving the money that. to? <laughs> yeah, I think they were just kind of setting up something. But obviously, maybe they were setting up Spectre. But I think later films kind of destroyed that whole idea. Because well, like. Yeah, because I couldn't tell if it was Mr. White who was like, or if it's just the people who had a thing, a boyfriend kidnapped, and that whole thing was resol- resolved horribly in Quantum of Solace that I don't even remember what the point of that was. If I was um, to make an educated guess, I don't think it's Spectre. Or at least it was retconned to be Spectre, but it wasn't Spectre to be good is. It is. Actually, no, because I think it is Spectre. Doesn't she? Isn't that the reason Bond doesn't get shot when Mr. White comes in? Because I thought she said she made a deal with you. They made a deal with you that night to spare your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it might be that might be Spectre, but then you'd wonder why do they what are they is two hundred million that big of a deal for them? Then they have like billions. Um, I don't know, but it's not really obviously the point. Important well, is the betrayal. They need to they need to keep up appearances. <laughs> they, yeah, they have to pinch every penny. Um, the uh, the the main point of it obviously is the betrayal of Bond and like 
how this is like the catalyst to who him becoming who he is. Um, and you get again like another final great action sequence in Venice with him like f- this f- this building flooding. Mm. Um, which to be fair, Bond, it's your fault. Vesper's dead. You didn't have to shoot those water thing. I don't even know what they are. They like ballasts to stop the water from. I yeah, guess, like, pretty much. Swallowing up the building. I don't really get how Venice works. <laughs> <laughs> I look at stuff like that and I'm like, this is so confusing. It's like all of Venice underwater. I'm so confused. Um, uh, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of like in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, you killed all those goons with it, but now like, that's why Vesper's dead. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that whole sequence is great though. And I love how he kills the guy with a nail gun. Although that is, I don't think nail guns are fully automatic, I just want to say. <laughs> yeah, but we'll allow it. <laughs> I don't think people imagine if they were. Uh, imagine yeah, the ridiculousness uh, of needing it a fully automatic. Like, what would you need it for? I need to put up a piece of plywood really fast. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I feel like that's a TikTok video you'd see if, like, yeah. somebody like the. Life or is it one of the situations? Is it some of the situations? I don't know if you get these recommended to you as well, but you know those like videos of people doing airsoft. Um, yeah, yeah. And like somebody's like shooting really fast and it's like, yeah, full auto. And the guy's like, it's not full auto. This is full auto. And then he changed it and it's like ridiculously faster. So maybe Bond yeah, is just yeah. pulling the trigger really quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love that he just puts a nail in the guy's eye. That's great. Um, uh, and I love how the guy is like the most generic looking villain with like eye patch. <laughs> Yeah, like I always thought that was funny. I was like, oh, "Who is this guy?" Um, but it's obviously like for the story, it's like great. Like uh, it's amazing. Like I'm not like actually slagging it off. It's great. Um, mm. Like the scene where Vesper, because he's still going to save her, um, and that's the saddest part of it all. I think is that he's still gonna, he's so angry in his eyes. You can see, but he's still going to save her because he does love her. Yeah, um, like he'd probably just send her away. I don't think he'd like. You know, he, maybe he wouldn't stay with her, but he would let he save her. Um, and but she can't live with herself, obviously, um, of mm-hmm. with betraying him like that. Um, and she obviously locks the gate, and then yeah, watching her drown is really hard to watch. Um, because obviously you see like that, it's like almost very played very beautifully where she kind of like holds his hands, and then but then then she starts panicking, and it's just like really horrible because it's like oh god, drowning is just the worst. Yeah, no, um, that's the worst. Yeah, that and being set on fire. And obviously, you you're already watching, it going, yeah, she's dead. She's been like floating in there for like a good minute or two before <laughs> he gets her out. Like she's so dead. Um, yeah. But then it's just this like futile scene of him trying to bring her back that just like really hammers home just how upsetting it is. Um, but then the complete and- switch when he's on the phone with M. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like it just but- like that's when he like he accepts it and he's like closing it off and he doesn't really deal with it. And you don't see no, him deal with it for a few films. Well, because he's like holding in his emotions when he like when she realizes she's dead because he does like that grunting thing where he's like almost like holding. He's like putting all the emotion back inside him. He's trying to hold it in. Mm. Um, and it's like, dude, just, like, just don't, <laughs> just don't hold it in. Uh, yeah, it's like this. This this is like a hallmark of the Daniel Craig kind of series of films, though, of like having incredibly being the most emotional Bond films all. <laughs> You know, yeah, very with much how so. no time to die ends, obviously being like, you know, not spoiling, but yeah. And then obviously with the same with Skyfall, you know, having those emotional peaks. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, it's I love how it ends though, but it does, yeah, it it crushed me watching it this time. I was like, oh, this is so sad. You brought up you brought up emotional peaks in Skyfall. I'm just thinking of that one scene again. You know what I'm on about? Oh, yeah, God, no, I can't, can't, can't talk about it here. Yeah. Uh, 
have to wait. I need to. I need. And now that you've picked Casino Royale, I'm gonna have to space it out a few months before we can talk about it, and that's annoying me even more. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got to talk about Quantum of Solace next, obviously. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, overall, like, I mean, that's kind of where the film ends. I mean, we get this final shot. Then obviously, you can see this new sort of Bond. Like, it's it's him becoming James Bond. Let's be honest. Yeah, this is the scene where he is. He's got yeah. Um. Because, like, I think at the end, obviously, they talk about, you know, you need two kills to get into the double O program. But to, to be really become the double O agent, you need to finish the mission, the first mission, I think. The name's Bond. James Bond. Yeah. It's like, that's what this kind of movie kind of shows. No, like, you, you need, need to be willing need... to put up with everything. <laughs> you need to have, like, an emotional, psychological break. <laughs> that's how you become one. Yeah, pretty much. Which is something we never saw before. Um, I mean, we get sort of later iterations of double O agents, and they're kind of... I don't think they're... I think they're maybe more of a modern approach to sort of doing that, and they're maybe less sort of psychologically broken than bond is which i'm not saying is a bad thing um but like it's definitely like you can see like at this point in time like the way in which it's done is like you need to be just completely switched off to like the consequences of your actions or the morality or anything like that um and again it it portrays like i mean we see this again at skyfall like you know that mi6 really doesn't care about them like it really doesn't they're kind of just pawns to be used um, and, and while there and is it, sort of that conversation in future films between like M and Bond, and I think we get a bit more of that obviously in Skyfall, that's when we get the sort of like the real sort of connection between the pair of them. But realistically, they just, they don't go well. At, like they don't, at the beginning, they're kind of like, yeah, they're having a bit of conversation, but M doesn't really think of Bond as anything other than just another agent. Yeah. Um. And and to be fair, like going just to like um, say like as well, like just because we're never going to talk about it. So I just want to say it makes me really sad that Quantum of Solace took this image that we get at the end of this film of the finally composed Bond, you know, being professional to immediately then be like, he's an alcoholic who can't do his job right, who kills every single person he comes across uh, and he sits around drinking all day and he's really sad, but like... Uh, Oh yeah, and when he kills people, we're not even going to make it fun because the way he kills people is so poorly shot and chopped up that you're not even going to be able to tell what was going on. Yeah. Um, he gets sent into a room to interrogate a guy and ends up stabbing him in the ephemeral artery on purpose, killing him. Um, <laughs> am I right like, to um, am I right to assume that the Quantum of Solace was filmed during the writer's strike, or at least written during the writer's strike? Um, I think that might be true. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> What are you trying to say? <laughs> well, what I'm saying is pay your writers um, and you won't have something like Quantum of Solace, realistically. Oh, it's so... It's, it doesn't even have good action, that film, just to say, like, as well, that's the other jarring thing, is the way that movie's filmed compared to Casino Royale. Mm. Like, it's filmed so, like... it's that It's got that thing that was going around at the time, you know, where all the action was super choppy and, like, you couldn't see what was going on. Mm. Like, I think it was actually, like... Uh, yeah. Oh, no, there was like a genre of it where it was really choppy action in PG-13 films. It was like Taken 2 did it as well. Oh. <laughs> when you had Taken 1, which had really good action, and then Taken 2, which had like action that you couldn't even tell what was happening. Yeah. Um, I think that was a lot to do with, uh, obviously, uh, Liam Neeson's age and all that as well. 
Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Have you seen Taken 3, the scene where he jumps the fence? Yes, no, please. Um, <laughs> the fact that there's three of those films still bewilders me, and we haven't gotten sequels to some of probably the best films ever, but, you know, yeah. that's here nor there. Um, yeah, I mean, let's let's close it off, because uh, we're getting to the hour mark now. Um, yeah, yeah. I would like to go first in this one, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I would give Casino Royale, uh, and basing this purely off an action thriller, sort of a Bond film, I think it's a five out of five. Um, I think this is up there as it's the second best Bond film for me ever um, just below Skyfall and obviously that's no surprise to anyone who's been listening to the whole show that I love Skyfall oh. um, I think GoldenEye is just below that then but the, the way in which Bond is portrayed in this film the way in which they sort of rejuvenated the entire franchise um, of both James Bond and Casino, Roy- and, and Casino Royale with this film is just phenomenally well done the action is great the stunt work is amazing uh, the writing is subtly very good um, and you can see a lot of sort of the influence of uh, the original book here as well from uh, from what I know uh, a lot of the stuff is very much taken straight from the book and it, it makes me more excited obviously having seen the entire trilogy and watching this again it makes me more excited to see where they go with Bond next because if they do decide to soft reboot it will we get something as impactful as sort of uh, what Casino Royale was to the series then uh, mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see but yeah that's what I think of it anyways um yeah I'm gonna agree I think this is probably a five out of five this is probably my favorite Bond film um I'll have to watch Skyfall again see how I feel but like there's just so much I just love the the grit the realism the the shock that this had on at the time as well like watching it at the time the impact it had with like the shocking level of violence the the action mm-hmm. uh the take the different cake on the character how we all had to kind of like readjust what we thought about bond um how it like completely subverted expectations with daniel craig being the best bond of all time yeah um yeah just yeah uh, and obviously that and that intro song is like yeah amazing mm-hmm. um yeah i i I don't, I'm, I'm lost to say anything else. This is a five out of five for me. Yeah, so perfect review scores across the board from us this week. Um, and that's two very good weeks in a row. And we are moving on to uh, next week. If you're going to be listening into us, we will be checking out uh, our first uh, viewer request movie of the year, uh, which is a pr- The Princess Bride, which is definitely another <laughs> sharp turn again uh from what we've been looking at uh but i'm looking forward to watching this one because um i know my sister is a huge fan of this film and i'm actually going down to see her this weekend so maybe i'll watch it then uh, and i can come back with sort of uh the blinded enthusiasm uh, that she has for the film um but yeah i'm really looking forward to that uh, of course as always if you want to check us out on social media and get in contact with us those are all linked down in the description below along with our email and our website and uh, which we're kind of posting uh, we're hoping to post more reviews at least in the new year i know chris has two uh, that i need to edit and get out and then we're good for those ones and then i'll hopefully have some more stuff uh, coming up uh, alongside that as well uh, as this is um, our view request film as i mentioned uh, you can also send in your viewer requests uh, for films uh, or tv shows that you'd like us to cover on the show of course we cover a tv show every month um, and you could do so by following the link in the description below as well uh, or even just messaging us on twitter um, we're open to whatever because uh, we actually are out of viewer requested stuff now so if you have any um stuff you'd like us to watch please let us know uh, but with that being said thank you so much for listening again this week and we will see you all next time Thank you.